I'm glad often that our Lord uses images that are easy for us to understand. Certainly the image of remaining on the vine uh, and receiving life from him uh, is one that absolutely makes sense for us. And those who have uh, lived and experienced the Christian life certainly understand on, on, a, on a deeper level what, what he really means uh, and how uh, he desires that we, that we remain in him. Knowing that apart from him is sin, apart from, from life, uh, well, that's that line about um, being thrown into the fire and being burned. But I guess it's good to ask, what kind of vine is he talking about? There's all kinds of vines that we, that we see in, in, in the world uh, around us. The image I have, anyway, uh, is growing up in the vines that climb up around trees and, and choke them. This is not the kind of vine that our Lord uh, is, uh, is speaking of. This is, this is a grapevine. Uh, and if you've, I mean, Virginia, Virginia is known well enough for its wineries. At least if you go out west a bit. And uh, even, even that image uh, is one that I think uh, is very useful for us. Um, because bearing fruit on a grapevine means grapes and, you know, that we make wine out of grapes. And, and Scripture's uh, witness with regards to wine is that wine is supposed to bring joy to man's heart. So it seems that the branches on the vine that are grafted and, and remain on the vine are meant on somehow, in some level, to be able to bring joy to the world. Maybe it seems like a tall order in a world that is, seems to be struggling quite a bit with things like depression and anxiety, especially after this year of the pandemic. But maybe you've noticed, uh, maybe you haven't, um, that all of the deadly sins, those list of seven, can be related or, or directly connected to uh, a certain kind of sadness. We do speak of sadness as an ally of the enemy, uh, of the evil one, meaning something he uses to drag us down, ultimately into despair and nothingness. Let's walk through the sins real quick. Envy, and sadness at another's good. I notice somebody else's good and it, and it, and it detracts from my own happiness and joy because I'm envious of that person. Sloth is a sadness because of the things of God, to let go of certain earthly things, to seek the goodness of God, and, we, and when we're dragged down. Pride, as you know, produces sadness when my faults are exposed. We call that despair. Lust is oftentimes an escape from sadness, sadness or loneliness. Gluttony, some people eat their feelings. All the negative things that, that, that drag people down, they turn to food as a, as a means of comfort. You talk about greed, you can't help but think of the rich young man um, who walks away sad because he has many possessions that he's not willing to part with. And anger, well, whatever's happening with anger, it's certainly not joy. Usually it's a response to, to some real hurt, which ultimately is just a sadness that's due uh, to an evil that I've had to experience. So all of, that, all of sin can be described uh, in relation to sadness. It's the, it's the thing that is totally contrary to the Easter joy that our Lord, our Lord brings to us. And so that's what the whole Easter season is, is, is about, is to be able to rejoice in the goodness and, the, and ultimately uh, the freedom uh, and the salvation that, God, that God's won for us. We, he says, are already pruned. We're already clean, is, is, is another way that's translated. I mean, we've, we've, we've been baptized. We've been healed of our former ways. The, the, the punishment and... and and death due to sin is taken from us. And then we've also been grafted onto this vine. And Christ is feeding us his, his joy, provided that we're, that we're tapped in and provided that we actually, we actually want to receive it. And so he says to, to, to the apostles and he says 
to all of us to abide in me so that you can bear much fruit. That's the call and, and even the command, we can say, of the, of the Christian life. To abide in Christ, to remain in him, to rest in him, and to receive everything from him. And just pause for a moment um, to go back to that imagery of, of wine, of the wine that brings joy. Some people think it's unfathomable that Christ makes something like 150 gallons of wine at the wedding feast of Cana. It's a reminder that the, one of the, the primary duties of the husband in the Jewish family was to bring joy to his wife. And so here's Christ, the bridegroom, who gives himself over to his bride, who is the church, it's all of us. And he does that to bring us joy, such, such, such that sadness and sorrow and darkness are, are fleeing away, you know, Christmas hymn. So abiding in Christ... The language of the gospel is to remain in me. I think it's kind of a flat word. Um, To abide indicates uh, maybe something a little deeper, like a living with, a communion with, which certainly reflects so many of the themes of the Christian life. Now, abiding in Christ um, indicates sort of a stable disposition of union with Christ. We get that in relation with with regards to relationships with, with other people. You can think of people who 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 you've been uh, been with or been around. If they're fidgety, um, if they seem uncomfortable, if they can't sit still, if they're restless. I'm I'm not talking about kids. Kids are always like that, right? No, but for for a mature adult, if if that's what's happening in the context of your relationship with somebody else, you know something isn't right. You know something something needs to be attended to or, or, or fixed. And it shouldn't be like that with regards to our relationships with with Christ. And if it is. If I'm not comfortable in the context of my relationship with Christ, something isn't right. Even if maybe we're connected to the, to the vine, we can say that, that, we're, that we're here, but maybe that we're not abiding in Christ in the fullness sense of that term. Now, a branch that can do nothing apart from Christ necessarily receives everything from him. A branch that doesn't have life or strength except from the vine but tries to do things on its own, apart from the vine, necessarily separates itself from the vine. And that's ultimately the the definition of sadness. One of the the pains, honestly, of of, of hell that the church talks about is this regret and remorse, knowing that I, I could have had what I was made for. I could have had everything my heart desired. I was given the opportunity and the chance, but I refused it. There's, there's sadness. You know, sin tries to grasp at life and ultimately happiness by, well, what? I mean, getting ahead of others, uh, avoiding the things of God, pretending I have no faults, or even through just the pleasures of the flesh. And it discovers in the end that, that grasping like that just, well, makes the sadness worse. It reinforces the idea in the end that when I'm sad... Some sinful thing that brings fleeting pleasure or a semblance of happiness, that that thing is the real, the real means to happiness. And when that fleeting pleasure isn't enough, I dive more into it. I look for other things. Hopefully, ideally, what happens is that we realize that the world is not enough. And then we turn to Christ. So Christ's remedy for sadness, for the sadness of the evil and sin in the world, oh, it's different. Maybe a little paradoxical. Not the first thing we might have turned to. 
but hopefully it's the last. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. How do we do that is always, is always a good question. How do I deepen that relationship with Christ? How do I remain in the joy and the goodness that he wants to give me? I think there are two main things that we can do. And they're, well, they're easy to say because he gives us the means. He says, the first greatest commandment is to love God with your whole mind, heart, body, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We love God three ways. Again, easy to say. First, we believe in him. Second, we pray. And third, we avoid sin. The teachings of Christ and his church, the teachings that we believe in, are not meant just to give you something else to have to do. The teachings that we believe in are meant to lay out for us the road to happiness. Sometimes just by clear and very specific boundaries. That is, this is sin, this is not sin. This does not bring happiness, this will bring happiness. Okay, easy enough. It's nice to have that clearly delineated in our minds so we don't jump off the deep end um, without, without realizing what we're doing. But other times, those teachings give us a certain kind of an, of, of an example. Think of all the things that we teach about Christ and Our Lady. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. She, and that's, that's our Lord, and, and she is conceived without sin, and, and Blessed Mary of a Virgin, all these kinds of things that we talk about with regards to, uh, to, to, to Christ, our Lady, and ultimately the Church. These are meant to show us the glory that we're made for. These are meant to show us um, a purity, not of a, of a rigid perfectionism, but rather... Uh, a purity that's born of the humility and, and the charity and the joy uh, of a prodigal son who's been, who's been forgiven. You see, the vine that we're attached to needs to be a pure vine. It needs to be something that is beyond all human means to attain. Otherwise, I, well, I can do it myself. Otherwise, I don't need Christ. Now, the truths about Christ that we believe make clear the perfection and the perfections of Christ to which we are grafted and, and in which we grow. So once I believe him, once I believe in Christ, now I'm faced with a tall order, namely to be grafted onto the vine. I can't, I can't achieve that on my own. All I can do is bring to him and recognize um, the sins into which I've fallen. And so I ask for forgiveness. I tell Christ that I want to be united to him, to be grafted onto the vine. It's the first step in prayer, isn't it? Prayer acknowledges that I cannot save myself and I need Jesus. And without him, I, like all men, am going to be lost. And then because we know that our Lord, uh, how do we say it? He's not a vending machine for salvation. And because that's the case, I, I keep praying. I'm converted, ultimately. And I become a person who strives to walk with him. I hand myself over to him. I want to stay close to him. I want to be on his side. I want to fight his battles. I want to win the victory with him. And so our interior life of prayer is about maintaining that relationship. Not just asking God for all the things I want or think that I need. Go ahead and ask for those. That's okay. But it's about more than that. Than that. It's about union with God. And the result of that is meant to be my interior and exterior joy. Certainly prayer wrestles with God when things are difficult. It's also the means by which I surrender to him. I trust in him, I accept his will, and I seek with all my heart. And so, believe it or not, the path to joy is always those beautiful words of our Lord. Not my will, Lord, 
but yours be done. What's his will? You know what it is. It's to avoid sin. Not to make us slaves, though, but rather to make us happy. He knows what is going to make us happy. Parents, you do this for your kids all the time. Kid, don't do that. It's not going to make you happy. But I want to touch the hot stove. All right, whatever. Do what you want. It's not going to make you happy, I promise. Our Lord does the same thing with us with regards to, to sin. Avoiding sin is an active trust that God will take care of me if I stay close to him. It's an active trust that he wants to bring me joy if only I let him. We're motivated all the time in the realms of life that include work and friends and goals and school to do difficult things to achieve what we want. But why don't we do it for the thing that matters the most, namely my relationship with God and the true happiness that I seek? good for us to have to do and choose to do the hard things that we don't feel like doing, but we're willing to do, we're motivated to do it, um, because we know that it brings the happiness that we desire. We also, also know that putting in good effort to doing what is good and healthy is oftentimes just invigorating. When I have to fight against the challenging thing and I conquer, I feel good about myself afterwards. It's part of the joy that he wants, he wants to give. And it's good that when temptation starts to creep in, that we recognize the connection between sin and sadness. I push that temptation away, not because I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not, but because I don't, I don't want to fall into sadness. I don't want to be unhappy. I want to find the joy and goodness that Christ gives. That's our path to joy. It's authentic belief, real relationship with God in prayer, and ultimately maintenance of that relationship by avoiding sin. All that is about love of God. Once I have that, now I have a way to bring authentic joy to my neighbor. That's what I want. That's what my neighbor desires. And if I've found something, if I've found something worthwhile, then of course I want to share that with my neighbor. It's the reason it's the second greatest commandment. Joy can't help but be shared. And God wants that not only for me, but also for the whole world. And he's chosen us to be closer to him precisely so that others can be reached through us. Because he wants their happiness, he wants their joy as much as he wants it for us. A lot of people imagine a world where there's no evil, no hunger, no war, none of those evil things that we know are terrible and awful. But sometimes we forget that the path to achieving those goals can never be through sin. Sin only brings sadness even though it promises happiness. So Christ, of course, gives us the model. He went to the cross, which is the preeminent act of love of God and of neighbor in one and the same moment. He gives himself up to death in trusting obedience to his Father. Father is the vine dresser, so that you and I might have life and joy and happiness and peace and goodness. So his sacrifice on the cross bears fruit, which we first see in the resurrection. His trusting obedience pays off for him in rising from the dead for his own glory and his own joy. His sacrifice also bears fruit in our salvation. He opens for us the path to happiness. And because he is the path or the way, as he says it, the way, the truth, and the life, he makes it easy to abide with him because he also abides with us. 
and his continual presence among us in the Blessed Sacrament. And of course, just to top it all off, he comes to us under the appearance of fruit. Well, bread, the fruit of the earth, as we say, and wine, the fruit of the vine. And so by coming to us in the sacrament, he comes to give us joy, to fill our hearts with the joy that only Christ's victory over sin and sadness can bring.